0: Let me invite you to open your Bibles uh, to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Let's pray together. Father, it is a delight to open this book, your word. We are confident that the things that are written in this book are God-breathed. They came forth from you through men and women that you inspired. We pray that you'd help us now to humble ourselves before you, and thus before your word. Do your work in us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. The types of passions that would like to rule over us vary from person to person. God warned Cain in Genesis chapter 4 about sin's intention. What God told Cain is this, sin, its desire, is contrary to you. Or in some translations, sin is desire, its desire is for you. Or in some translations, sin's desire is toward you. Sin's desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. That was the command from God to Cain. God warned us from the very beginning That passions, that sin would try to rule over us. Our passions can range from drugs and alcohol to overeating and overspending to laziness and fornication. That's just a sampling. Last night we had a great uh, teen activity. A number of the teens brought appetizing appetizers for a contest... And then one family also brought a meal and dessert for us. And we played a fun game of capture the flag. All of that was great. It was fun, right? Fun, yes. Everyone had fun. Well, my wife has me on this crazy diet. Now, my wife said, don't tell people that I have you on this diet. But I prefer to blame her than to take personal responsibility, much like Adam has blamed Eve, and every man since then has blamed his wife, and every wife since then has blamed her husband. Nonetheless, I couldn't taste any of the tasty food. I could smell it, and I could see it, and I could see people enjoying it, and several of them had several plates worth, I will not name any names. Diets are a display of self-control. Or are they? I might say that diets are a display that you have not had self-control. It might be just that a diet is an indicator that the pattern of life has been, that control has not been over your appetites. And I'll say my appetites. So I need to impose strict limitations upon myself because I have not controlled my appetites when given the opportunity. This morning, we are going to continue our study of Galatians. We have come to the section in chapter 5 where Paul instructs the church that our liberty, our liberty in Christ is not to be used for our own passions. Instead, our liberty and the, having been set free by Christ was so that we would love others. We see that in verses 1 through 15. In the second half of the chapter, Paul speaks of the pathway toward demonstrating that love. Take a look at verse 16 to begin with. Galatians 5 and verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the, what does it say, desires of the flesh. He's talking about passions, the lusts, thirsts, appetites. He tells us how to love others having been set free. It's to walk in the power of the Spirit. He also lets us know in verse 17 that this is not uh, a terribly easy endeavor. He says in verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against The Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And then he reiterates what our proper stance should be in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, if you are walking in harmony with the Spirit, if instead of your appetites controlling you, your passions controlling you, the Spirit is controlling you, there is no need for rules and regulations because the Spirit will always lead you toward truth. The Lord, uh, the Spirit will always lead you toward that which is right. In verses 19 through 21, he lets us know what the results of life lived under the Uh, control of our flesh or without the control of the spirit and then in verses 22 and 23 he tells us what the results are of a life lived in harmony with the spirit a life lived under the control of the spirit that has been our study over the last number of weeks it's actually been more than two months we've been we've been slowly working our way through the evidences of spirit controlled living remember this if you walk in the spirit all the fruits are demonstrated Not one or two, not three or four, but all of them. Here's what they are, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and we have arrived today at self-control. And I have an ever-present reminder that I must exercise self-control this morning because Today we are celebrating the Lord's Supper. So I have half of the amount of time that I normally have to bring forth the Word. And so to do this properly, I have to exhibit self-control induced by the Spirit. And so I've been praying to that end, and maybe you'll pray along with me. We're in the midst of this section of the evidences of the Spirit in uh, Spirit's control over our lives. And what we have observed is that these ev- evidences, listen carefully, these evidences are demonstrating God's character. These evidences are demonstrating God's character. In other words, we are not simply seeking to be better human beings for our own enjoyment. This is the pathway toward truly loving our neighbor. Our neighbor needs to see the character of God. And when I say neighbor, I'm using Jesus' definition of neighbor. That means whoever you come in contact with. That's in your home, in your church in your workplace, in your actual neighborhood, at the grocery store, and even on the vile roads that we drive where people like to cut us off. All of these places is where God intends for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ to demonstrate His love, His character to our neighbor. The greatest love we can demonstrate to our neighbor is showing them God's character. We are motivated for our neighbors to see God's character. Um, character and God's kingdom. We want people to see that God is alive and well. Listen, we live in a midst of of a trying time. We really do. We live in a time when people are rightly so concerned with threats both from terrorist groups and from national entities like North Korea. We live... In a time when we've even seen in our own country a rally for white supremacy, this is not acceptable. This is not God driven. We live in a time of confusion. We live in a time of turmoil. We live in a time of treachery and fear and anxiety. In the midst of this type of a scene, the world, needs a better view of God and of a kingdom that has much different ideals. Ideals where everyone, everyone is important, where everyone counts, where everyone's needs are our concerns. This is one of the things that you see even back under the Old Testament law. You see God demonstrating Care for people. The poor of the land and the strangers. They were cared for by, by the God of the universe. By telling the people of Israel, make sure you leave the corners of your fields unreaped. Leave it there so people that are poor and people that are strangers from other nations can come and have something. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This world needs to see Something different. They need to see God's character in His kingdom right now. They need it more now, or as much now, as they ever have. So this study that we're going through, slowly working through the fruit of the Spirit, is vitally important to the day and age in which we live. And we've come to verse 23, and the final element of the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. Self-control. The word in the Greek is... Egg uh, it, it comes from a word, a root word that is kratos. Kratos is a word used in other contexts for sovereign power. Sovereign power. God uses that of himself or through Paul about God's power at work in us in Colossians chapter 1. Sovereign power. And so the definition that we have here for self control is. The ability to master oneself, or to have dominion over oneself, or, uh, if you like, it, to, to be chief of oneself. The Bible warns about a lack of self-control. The Bible warns about a lack of self-control. Listen to what the Proverbs say. Just one text of Scripture on, uh, on this matter. Proverbs 25, 28 says this. You've probably read it. If you haven't, I would recommend Some good hearty meditation on it. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Another version would read it like this. A person who does not control or cannot control their own spirit is like unto a city broken down without walls. What What is God in this picture, this mental picture, trying to let us know? If we don't control ourselves, we are defenseless. Now, Peter said a very similar thing in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. This is not on the screen, and we're not turning there. But you'll remember he said in 1 Peter chapter 5, Be sober. That's to have control over one's senses. Be sober. Be vigilant. Why? Why should I be so sound-minded? Why should I have control over my senses? Why should I be paying attention so much? For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. If you and I do not control our desires, they will control us. A life lived in subjection to a cruel master. Because you know what, folks? Your desires will never be satisfied you don't believe me, just read the news. Read the news. Read up on your, the latest entertainers in the world and how glamorous their lives are and how miserable they are. There's always a new one of those tabloids on the shelf about this couple, this, this super couple that's broken up. Oh, now, you know, I'm not even going to use their names So-and-so, the reason that this really went sour. Oh, the deepest secrets of so-and-so. All the the nasty stuff that they put up there. What's What's the real problem? You can have everything that this world has to offer. You can fulfill every desire that you have in your minds. And it will never be satiated. You either control your desires or they will control you. Now, it's not as simple as that. We're going to get to the pathway toward that control as we conclude but it's, a, it's an axiom of Scripture. The Bible prescribes a fight against our passions. The Bible prescribes a fight, a fight, a war against our passions. Take a look, please, at First Peter chapter 2. And if, and if I don't control my passions, I am not going to end in time uh, for us to have our communion service with ample time. So let us move more quickly than I am. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, this great passage of Scripture with a prescription right in the middle of it. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh or from the passions of the flesh. Why? Because they are waging war against your soul. Passions at work within you. And you know what they are. I don't know what your passions are. I don't know what things... Keep you up at night. What what the first thing that comes into your mind when you wake up in the day. What it is that derails you in your day to day walk with God. Those passions are warring against your soul. And so here's what God says. Abstain from the fleshly passions that war against your soul. Abstain. Turn away from them. Uh, look a little further now at 2nd Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We can't play games here, folks. The, the The war against our soul is not a game, and so our war against our passions can't be a game. This is this is real life. This is real life, and so we can't we can't take these things lightly. We have these texts like Second Corinthians chapter ten, which gives us, uh, I'd say, some very strong encouragement to aid us in what Peter's telling us in First Peter chapter two. He tells us to abstain because it's warring against us, and here. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that, listen, it's not solely you and your strength because if it were you and your strength, guess what? You'll find your resources coming up empty. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Listen, but have what? Yeah, say that again, please. Divine power. They have divine power. To do what? To destroy strongholds. You know those little foxholes in war? Destroy them. The bunkers are gone. How? Divine power. Verse 5. Here's a process. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. And so he's giving us a spiritual strategy to deal with a spiritual attack the spiritual attack is what lusts that come from within us and we're going to talk about they come from without of us and they come from a spiritual realm we have all these these adversaries that are coming up against us what do we do well abstain as peter's thought we need that paul says you have divine power to deal with this and every time a thought comes into your mind you and i have a responsibility What is that responsibility? All right, here's the thought. This is is what I want. Here's what God says. Are they in agreement? No. If they're not, that's going to get cast down. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. How about if they're in agreement? Absolutely. Hey, God's word says this. Let's do it. Okay, they're in agreement. Divine power will give you the ability to deal with what God has charged you to do. You know what that's called? Ready? Grace. God always supplies what he demands. So where we see things coming in line with God's will, we can know he will supply the power or ability to do it. Where we deviate from God's plan, where we say, no, I don't care what that says, the divine power, while it's still for us, if we're a believer, it's not operating in us and through us. See, that's the thing. Just because we deviate from God's plan doesn't mean that God doesn't care about us, that God doesn't love us, that God is not merciful toward us, and that God will not give us grace again. But when we're in deviation from his plan, his his grace is not evident in us. It is not evidenced in us. It is not displayed. So we have a warfare. The psalmist Solomon wrote this in Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. It's very interesting how he writes this. He uses the word guard, two different Hebrew words. Guard your heart with all guardianship, essentially. Guard your heart with all ta- being willing to take it into captivity. He, he's really emphasizing this protective measure. He says, "The everyday life comes out of your heart. Everyday life comes from within you. The things you think, the things you say, the things you do come from within you. Guard it. Treasure it. Hold on to it. Capture it. Captivate it. With what? Captivate it with what? Well, that's, that's what we want to get to in, in a few moments. Our agenda, without the controlling power of the Spirit, listen carefully, is oriented around our own passions, our own good, and our own enjoyment. On the other hand, a life controlled by the Holy Spirit will exhibit something else. The Christian life is one in which we are to be continually growing in our surrender. Did you hear that? Growing in our surrender. There is to be an increasing recognition that our own way will run contrary to the will and word of God. And folks, this is not debatable. As we grow in our surrender To God, he will increase the display of his character in our lives. Please notice, if you have my notes, you'll notice that I actually crossed out one of the pronouns and replaced it when I originally typed this. I, in error, wrote, as we grow in our surrender to God, we will increase the display of his character in our lives. That is false. So I fixed it and wrote underneath there in pen, he, and so now you have a corrected copy, and the one that's on the screen is a corrected statement, as we grow in our surrender to God, he will increase the display of his character in our lives. So, with that being said, I want us to look at two passages of Scripture. Let's do this quickly. 2 Peter chapter 1. I am an abysmal failure at shortening messages. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. First of all, as we read verses 3 and 4, I want you to notice the supercharge of verses 3 and 4. It is absolutely packed with grace principles. It is absolutely packed. It's saturated with grace. Verses 3 and 4. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. When I preached through 2 Peter, and we got to verses 3 and 4, the title of the message was Blown Away by Grace. Look at what it says. His divine power has granted there's a grace word has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So daily life and a godly life at that. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So he's telling us God has given to us everything we need in order to live a life that's godly that that displays his glory and excellence. Verse 4. By which he has granted, there's more grace to us, his precious and very great promises. That's, again, a a, a grace. He's promising something so that through them you and I may become partakers, there's another grace word, of the divine nature. What? Don't miss what he just said. As As a believer, as someone who's come to know Jesus, as my Savior, One who has been granted life. I have also been granted his presence in me. And that presence is a gift. And that presence is an empowerment. And that presence enables the divine nature not only to dwell in me, but to be displayed in me. I am not divine. He is. I happen to be a housing of the divine one. That is Breathtaking grace. And look at what it says at the end of that. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful what? Have we been talking about desires and pleasures? Yes, we have. And God has told us that the spirit of God dwelling in us and us walking in the spirit We'll counter the deceitful desires of our flesh, right? And we're to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. And now he's telling us that we've been granted everything necessary in order to fight this fight. And then he moves on and in verses 5 through 13, he gives us these these instructions, but they are not separated. They're not divorced from what he says in verses 3 and 4 verses 3 and 4 is the foundation of verses 5 through 17. You can't read verses 5 through 13 in separation from verses 3 and 4 and have it come to be. Many, 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 many professing believers have tried and all of them have failed, every last one of them. The things that are being described in Galatians 5 as well as in 2 Peter chapter 1 are divine works. And the only way the divine works take place is because of the divine nature. Where is the divine nature in the context? Dwelling in the believer. Because of the divine nature in us, we have the opportunity to display the very divine works of God. And so we see in verse 5, for this very reason, because you've been infused with grace, because of the divine presence within you, because you've been given everything that... That that is necessary for life in Godliness, because you have these great and precious promises, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with what? What does the word self-control mean? Mastery, power over one's desires. We've established that as the definition from Galatians five. As part of the process of displaying God's nature, self-control is one of those elements. This takes place. It takes place by a work of God. We we cannot settle for less than what God tells us is His divine working. God's grace always manifests itself in God's divine power. And God's divine power always looks like God's divine fruit. Because of this grace... Add to your faith. Add to your faith. It sounds like something we're doing. And we are. We're involved in this process. We are surrendering our will. And the surrendered will has a a surrendered affections. My affections now are new. My affections are for Christ. My affections are for God. My affections are for God's kingdom. And when I see something contrary to that in myself, and I will every day, what what am I supposed to do? hey that doesn't align with what i know about jesus christ i'm going to cast down imaginations and every high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of christ i'm going to bring into captivity every thought to obedience to christ so we're involved in this process there's a war there's a war inside of us and god tells us to add to our faith that adding to our faith is an added surrender it's an added surrender and it results in a glorious entrance into glory. Take a look now at First Corinthians nine. First Corinthians nine for just a moment. In First Corinthians chapter nine, uh, a text of Scripture that some of us may be familiar with. Paul's talking about his abilities to to do certain things. He's talking about um, abstaining from certain meats which might cause his brother to offend. He says that in in, in chapter eight, and then he kind of revisits some of that later. He talks about uh, the ability to take from the church, um, support, but he didn't use that. And he starts to talk now here at the end of chapter 9 about, about his own walk with God. And I, I'd, say, I'd say it's, it's really exemplary for, for all of us. In verse nine, uh, 24, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 9:24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Here's the admonition, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. In other words, they don't eat Twinkies morning of the race or day before the race. Twinkies and running are not friends. Right? Do you agree? Self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest, after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He's letting us know that when we are in this race, when we're in this fight, when we're in this this journey together, that that there are are things that will entangle us. He says that in 2 2 Timothy chapter 2. Don't uh, he that's been chosen to be a good soldier don't entangle yourself with the affairs of this life because you won't be able to please your, your, your master that way you won't be able to please the one that enlisted you do you think that it'll be easy to do what 1 Corinthians 9 is talking about or what 2 Peter chapter 1 is talking about or what Galatians chapter 5 is talking about do you think that'll be easy I submit to you it is not easy I submit to you we have we have an adversary as we look at Scripture, we notice that this war for our affections has at least three angles of attack. And we're not going to spend much time here at all, just, just for our own consideration. There is a war from within us. There's a war from within us. You can reference Galatians 5:17 that we read earlier, or you can reference some statements of the Lord Jesus, that it's not the things that are outside that are the problems. Before you ever were dirtied by the outside, you had spewing nastiness that was coming from your inside. Now, he doesn't say it that way, but that's the, that's the Rob Clark edition. Um, we have sin from within us, and we, we fight against ourselves. Secondly, there is a war from around us in the visible world. 1 John chapter 2, love not the world or the things that are in the world, for all the things that are in the world are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the... Um, flesh and the pride of life, these are not of the Father, but are of the world. Um, the lust of the flesh, these things are, will pass away, but the thing who that does the will of God will, will uh, abide forever. You know that passage. And in James chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, if you are friends with the world, you are making yourself an enemy with God. Now, it's interesting, he doesn't say God is making himself an enemy against you. He says you're aligning yourself up against God. I think that's fine, kind of interesting. You know, the world wants us to feel as if, if you don't line up with our standards, there is something wrong with you. Every day, in one form or another, this is what we're finding out. Um, just as an illustration of it, we're watching a series with our children called The Flash. Maybe you've watched it. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you would never watch that thing. Maybe it's, you know, I don't know what your thing is on that. But we're watching it with, with our kids. And there's the scene that comes up. And there, there are a couple of things that we have edited for our children, because there were some things that were inappropriate, and there were some things that are inappropriate that we didn't edit on purpose. So just recently, there was an episode where the Flash wakes up in bed next to a girl who's not his wife. Now, nothing is displayed about this, but you know that something is askew here. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Um, and so we took the moment to pause it. And I, I had previewed it, so I knew it was there, and I, I thought about editing it. And I thought, nope, not going to do it. We're going to talk about this one. So I said, so what, what's, um, what might be the problem here? So there's a discussion. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of participation. It was more lecture. But uh, you, you know how that works. Uh, so we, we talked about it. Hey, listen, this is, this is the world thinks that this is normal Thousands and thousands and thousands, millions of people maybe, watched this episode and thought nothing about this scene. But what should we think about? What should we think about? Are we condemning them? No. They don't know, they don't, they don't know that this is a problem before the Lord. That's, that's, that, 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 the issue is not condemnation. The issue is, what should our minds be? Why is it that we should have a problem with this? Why should we think this is not normal? Because God has joined together something glorious, uh, male and female, to, to bring them together as one flesh. these are glorious things. These are, these are wonderful elements of life that God has ordained. And the world wants us to, to change that standard. He wants us to see it differently. And if we don't fit into, into their neat little box, we're the problem. We're the problem. And if that's just one illustration. You know, all the time, you turn on Facebook and you see people spewing forth whatever they're spewing forth, and it's, it's just constantly opposed to the will and word of God. That We experience that every day of our lives. We're not at war with the world. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying fight the world. What I'm saying is know what is being fed to you so that you know what they're trying to, to accomplish in your life. Well, what Satan is trying to accomplish in your life through that methodology. And in, in, the, in light of it, recognizing that when we don't line up with the world's standards, that's okay. And maybe that's the way it ought to be. There's a third angle of this war, and that is from spiritual hosts of wickedness. That's at the bottom of that discussion, right? We, we know that these attacks against our soul are to cause us not to represent God, to not to display God's character. But please notice, I I can't emphasize this enough. Please listen. We are not talking about overcoming these things, passions of our flesh, with fleshly human renewed willpower. That is not what we're talking about. The base of our study, the the foundation of our study, is that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit's work. So in truth, and I want you to hear this, what we are looking for, what we need, is spirit control. Spirit control issues forth in self-control. Spirit control issues forth in self-control. This week I was looking into some secular resources concerning self-control. How do some in the world instruct others how to overcome their passion. So I came across this article regarding Walter Mischel. I'll just read some of it. It's kind of long. I'm just going to read some bits and pieces here. Mischel is the creator of the Marshmallow Test, one of the most famous experiments in the history of psychology, which is often cited as evidence of the importance of self-control. In the original test, which was administered At the Bing Nursery School at Stanford in the 1960s, Mitchell's team would present a child with a treat, marshmallows uh, were just one option, and tell her that she could either eat the one treat immediately or wait alone in the room for several minutes until the researcher returned, at which point she could have two treats. The promised treats were always visible, and the child knew that all she had to do was stop, uh, to stop the agonizing wait was to ring a bell to call the exe- uh, ex- experimenter back. Although in that case she would get, oh, excuse me, wouldn't get the second treat. The longer a child delayed gratification, Michelle found, that is, the longer she was able to wait, the better she would fare later in life at numerous measures of what was now called executive function. Uh, He later wrote a book called The Marshmallow Test. I want you to hear the the other side of that. Mastering self-control. A crucial factor in delaying gratification is the ability to change your perception of the object or action you want to resist. Did you hear that? A crucial factor in delaying gratification is the ability to change your perception of the object or action you want to resist. Trying to avoid the tasty treat in front of your nose This is a technique, you ready? Put a frame around it in your mind as if it were a picture or a photograph to make the temptation less immediate. Strategy number one. Strategy number two, reframing it. Now, Now he's not talking about a frame. Picturing the marshmallows as clouds and not candy. We found a way to really improve human choice and freedom, he told me. If we have the skills to allow us to make discriminations about what we do and don't do something, or excuse me, when we do and don't do something, uh, when we do and don't drink something, when we do and when we don't wait for something, we are no longer victims of our desires. Interesting. And yet, even if you're a self-control guru, Walter Mischel, uh, sometimes there are hot spots that never quite Cool. Michel has never met a chocolate cake that he didn't like. Um, There's the impatience that has followed him throughout life in both his research, in lines, he can't stand to wait in one. In eating, he usually finishes his meal far ahead of his dining companions, even at the most formal of dinner parties. uh, He's also aware that his temper is infamous among his friends and colleagues. Why? Now, I'm not hypothesizing. Why is asked, and here's his answer. My motivation to change them hasn't been strong enough, he said. And areas like temper control uh, that I know I have to manage is still, uh, excuse me, it still hasn't become automatic. I've become more aware of it. I've just allowed myself to have some slack on it. So here's what I want to do I want to run this psychology um, thing through a little test. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reverse myself back to last night. And, and I want to tell you, over on the left side of the, the table was a, a seven-layer dip. Okay. If you move back a little bit, there was some, I don't know how to say it, but some um, beautiful-looking zuka something or other with meat and stuff and sauce and, and there were some, some egg rolls, and also I missed the garlic bread that won the contest. This garlic bread, which is like great for me, and, and egg rolls that, that were apparently outstanding. And then, and then there were some jalapeno poppers, and then some, some tater tots wrapped in bacon and cheese that apparently were really good. Then over, over here were some, some incredible pastelitos and some rice, and later on, Fam cake. Now, I don't know if you've not had experience with fam cake. You have, your life is not quite the same as others. So I want to try to think about this. I'm going to put a frame around those things. And I'm just going to pretend that they were photos. Except I saw people eating them. <laughs> all right, let's, let's go on. And, and instead what I'll say is, bear with me, um, inside of all of that food was Cow patties. You know what I mean by cow patties? Sometimes called cow chips. I'm talking about the stuff that comes out of a cow after they've eaten. Inside it was all this. It was feces inside of those things. All right, that's going to keep me away from them. Even though I see them shoveling it in, plate after plate, and with smiles on their face. Probably there's not feces in there. It's like, who are you? Who are you fooling? Who are you fooling? Really, that technique's going to work for you. It's just, it's just really a cloud. Clouds don't taste like anything. It just looks like a marshmallow. No, marshmallows aren't tempting to me. I could care less if I ever tasted a marshmallow again. But the pizza that my son ate next to me on uh, Friday night, that I wanted to eat. And then when they went out for pizza after the softball game, I wanted to eat. You know, it just, it's nonsense. You now, if it, if it helps you, I'm happy that you were helped seriously, I, I literally am self-control that we're talking about is not reframing, reimagining lying to yourself, whatever else that thing you want to call it, it's spirit induced it's spirit controlled, that's what we need brothers and sisters, we need the spirit to change us and, and that process is ongoing I'm not going to master that today I'm not the perfectly self-controlled person that I'm going to be on another day. When I yield myself to the Spirit, guess what comes out? Self-control. And when that comes forth, what am I displaying? Not that I'm a great guy with self-control. I have a great God that can enable self-control even in the likes of a person like me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness. I pray, Father, for each one of us that struggles to see how to solve our problems. Struggles help us to know that that struggle can be only addressed as we yield ourselves to you. I pray for anyone here that's never trusted Jesus as their Savior and they don't have the resource of the Spirit to lean upon and so they really feel helpless. I pray that they would come to know Jesus as their Savior, that they would first and foremost have life forever and secondly, also important, have the ability to live a life that that is not in captivity. Minister in us and through us now as we continue our service, celebrating your table, the Lord's Supper, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.